0: Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Faiting and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. scrutinize the and do their and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt to grab a shovel and dig. TechDirt started almost 25 years ago. We are nearing our 25th anniversary. Uh, And from the very beginning, one of the main topics that we focused on was our broken copyright system uh, in the US and more broadly around the world, and how silly, frankly, we thought the entire structure of copyright is. Uh, That's still a major issue on TechDirt, though I I guess other issues may have received more attention of late. Uh, However, However, for decades, I've really hoped and argued for a much more sane copyright policy and a much more sane approach to copyright policy. Uh, And I should also note that uh, one of the things I liked most about copyright law and writing about copyright law and arguing about copyright law was that it was a policy area that was effectively nonpartisan. Unfortunately, (laughs) for... uh, for the most part, that actually meant that both parties were in favor of really bad copyright law. Um, and, uh, and But, you know, as I've said quite a few times, I think once an issue becomes a partisan issue, then basically uh, all rational discussion about it seems to go out the window. Uh, And I'll point to net neutrality as an example of that, I think. (laughs) Um, There have been a few attempts, I think, to turn copyright into something of a partisan issue, including during the SOPA fight, which was a decade ago, uh, where there was a a brief moment where it felt like some Republicans in Congress started pointing out that copyright law was mostly helping Hollywood. And Hollywood was generally not seen as being particularly supportive of Republican Party policy positions. that didn't really catch on at the time, uh, but now it seems that suddenly uh, there's a new attempt to do that, though I would argue in perhaps the dumbest way possible, or, or maybe just the most annoying way possible, which is that uh, Republicans' somewhat populist anger towards Disney uh, over that company's somewhat late and somewhat mild criticisms of a Florida law regarding what teachers could teach in the classroom has kicked off a new and, uh, I would argue, perniciously stupid culture war over Disney, uh, including multiple Republican politicians claiming that Disney should lose its copyrights as punishment for speaking out, Uh, though I will note that Representative Lauren Boebert seemed to confuse trademarks and copyright uh, as part of her announced plan to to punish Disney. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley, who uh, may have in some ways perfected the kind of performative culture war legislation game more than most other senators, uh, just recently released a bill that conceptually I should love. Uh, It's his copyright... Clause Restoration Act, which would return copyright to a 56-year maximum term, uh, which was the case for nearly 150 years from the 1830s until the late 1970s. Uh, However, he did it in a manner that I think has no chance of actually becoming law and uh, would certainly get tossed out as unconstitutional if it somehow magically did get Passed and, and signed, and creates a whole bunch of other problems. Sort of taking what is conceptually at its heart, potentially a really good idea, uh, and making sure that it becomes politically infeasible and constitutionally problematic. So, here to talk about that law, uh, and I, I guess the uh, Republican approach to copyright law, is Daniel Takish, uh, who is the regulatory policy fellow at the Niskanen Center, uh, who has spent many, many years. Uh, trying to make the conservative argument for the problems with today's intellectual property law. So, Daniel, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So, let's start with the the Holly Bill. Uh what's what's wrong with it? It's it reduces copyright to 56 years. Isn't isn't that great?
1: <laughs> On paper, I suppose my my general uh, interpretation of the bill, if I could offer one pithy comment, would be to say I'm not mad; I'm disappointed. Um, <laughs> There are, as you alluded to, and you had an article up recently on TechTurt that did a literal (laughs) line-by-line analysis of the issue. Um, The first problem, I'd say, would be the retroactivity portions, which are in, I believe, section two uh, of the bill, which says, if you are a firm of a certain size or or falling into a certain type of industry category, uh, so it's not exclusive to Disney, it is part of what you would call big media, the culture industry, whatever you want to call it, um, it would retroactively uh, take away copyright. The problem with that is it is almost certainly unconstitutional, retroactively reducing copyright terms. I'm I don't believe has ever been done. So we're in weird, unprecedented waters. But when it comes to government taking of intellectual property, we have a couple of signs indicating that this would be unconstitutional. First, it would fall into the category of regulatory takings, um, most likely, or at least it certainly smells like a regulatory taking. You are depriving someone uh, who invested something with the expectation they'd be able to generate revenue from it of you know, the ability To have the exclusive right to generate revenue from that thing. That wouldn't stop Disney from monetizing some of the older stuff in their catalog, even if it's public domain, but it does take away an economically valuable right, which has certainly shades of a taking under the Fifth Amendment. The second argument for why I believe this would be categorized as a taking uh, is we can look to Section 14, uh, what's 28 U.S.C., Section 1498, and that usually comes comes up in the context of government patent use. But patents, and what it does essentially is it says you can't enjoin the government or someone acting on behalf of the government for the patent, uh, for infringement on your patent. What you do is you go directly to the court of federal claims and they'll determine the royalties that you are owed. That's section 1498A. Section 1498B deals with copyrights, and it takes a very similar approach in the language, in the structure. And the logic of Section 1498 is, uh, at least from a constitutional manner, of, this is basically a way to streamline eminent domain. Uh, so I think if it applies to patents, then it would most likely apply to, cop- uh, to copyright. Further, and I guess the third point is that 1498 deals with the use of patents or copyright this would be a a deprivation of it is that you know they decided that blackacre no longer exists your exclusive right to this no longer exists so to be clear we are in weird unprecedented <laughs> like like it's unprecedented but if I were a betting man, I would say constitutionally this would uh, the retroactivity portion would go down in flames.
0: So, so, so I, I want to explore that a little bit because it's interesting, and and, and I also want to clarify for for folks who are listening who are maybe not as deep in the weeds. Um, like just to go back to to basics, right? So, like the the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment is basically saying that the government can't just take property in theory, right? Like that that's that's the 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 underlying basis of it without. What is it, like just compensation? I forget the exact terminology. Yeah, um, but but there has to be if it's taking property, it has to it has to compensate you. Uh, and the argument has long been that that reducing copyright terms uh, for things, you know, retroactively would effectively do that. Now there are questions about whether or not. You know, copyright is technically property, but as you sort of alluded to, you know, the the regulatory takings things, and especially like even this Supreme Court, there was a ruling not that long ago that that really basically, you know, w- with the, you know, I guess one of the one of the justices will change by the time any if this ever uh, got to the court, but um, you know that that w- was willing to look at. At regulatory policy as a as a form of of takings, um, and so you know I I think you're probably right. I do have a couple of issues with that, in that you know copyright term extension. In theory, if copyright term reduction is a taking, it feels like copyright term extension should also be a taking, and that it is taking from the public who expected to have access to these works as public domain works. And so I would argue that. If you can do copyright term extension, you should just as easily be able to do copyright term reduction. I'm probably one of maybe two people in the world who would make that, who, who thinks that argument makes sense. But um, you know, I, I do have an issue with that. Now, the the other one is a little. The other issue I have with with the the taking thing again, like I, I'm saying, like you're right. The courts will interpret it that way. Uh, I'm I'm just making the theoretical argument of of how, why I feel that's dumb. The the other argument I'll make regarding um, the the point that you raised about, um, you know, uh, that these companies had this expectation, you know, that they they were making decisions based on this expectation that they had this right going on for whatever another, however many years. I find that less compelling. Again, like a court will probably would probably disagree with me, because at this point we're, we'd only be talking about works that are you know more than fifty six years old. And... When those works were created, the expectation by the, the companies or the, the creator of the work at the time was that the maximum copyright would be 56 years, because when it was created, that was the expectation. They then received this gift, which was you know, the 1976 Copyright Act that massively extended the copyrights, and the 1998 uh, Copyright Term Extension Act, which again, expanded the copyright another 20 years. Um and so I think you could go into court and make an argument that uh, that the expectation part of it is, is bogus because when they got the copyright, their expectation was that it would be a maximum of fifty six years. But that, that we're getting kind of deep in the weeds. But but respond to that, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, that strikes me as, as um, uh, too clever by half. <laughs> um, I think, and so the the point I would I would make is that if you believe. Um, that the retroactive extension, which happened multiple times, it wasn't just Sonny Bono, uh, where yeah. terms were retroactively extended. If you think, you know, that's that is wrong from a more general fairness equity perspective, then reversing it is also. Um, uh, then reversing it is is also wrong. I think so. You know, it, it cuts both ways. And you know, call me an old softy for the rule of law and and not just <laughs> like the rule of law, but you know, general good governance and norms and things like that. Um, I I don't care for policymaking. By I have altered the deal. Pray I don't <laughs> alter it any further. Yes. And I think the argument there would be, you know, it is it is bad to giveth and then take it away for the government even if it's a sub-optimal policy because you know suddenly you know waking up and discovering that a significant portion of your catalog is public domain um, and that's the retroactivity portion that's you know the real issue so suddenly reducing copyright terms prospectively is a little bit different right. you know pulling the rug out from under it i'm you know i think that's that's um, you know, bad. Even if you uh, don't think it's harmful as a policy, I think it's bad for the rule of law and respect for process and norms. Even if it doesn't sure. violate the letter, which which I think it does.
0: Right, right. Um, and now uh, there's there's another aspect of the bill that that makes it constitutionally problematic, which is how directed it is. And, and, you know, the, the term here that, that I raised in my article is the idea is like, is this a bill of attainder, a bill of attainder basically being, you know, targeting, you know, one or a very small uh, set of, of people, or in this case, corporations. Um, And, you know, the thing that I noticed was like, it feels like, and, and like, I mean, Josh Hawley's press release for this put Disney in the title and made it clear that he was he was targeting this bill at disney which which is just that's 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 constitutionally problematic in general, right? You're not supposed to create bills that just target one company but the the retroactive part uh only applies to a very limited set of companies um because it it the the, the rules are that it you have to be over hundred and fifty billion dollars in market cap um and um you have to be in two different classifications, NAICS code classifications, which were like, uh, you know, uh, motion picture creators and like theme parks, basically, (laughs) which like, gee, who happens to be in those classifications? Um, You know, so I, I was like trying to figure out who this bill could, who the retroactive part could possibly apply to. And I think it, it, it will only apply to to disney and and possibly to mbc universal which is owned by comcast and maybe depending on how you look at it um amazon because of because of its ownership of mgm studios um and, and, and I think that's it. There's an argument that it would also apply to Netflix and Apple um, for making movies for their streaming services, but I don't think either of those companies have copyrights that are over 56 years old at this point. So I don't, I mean, uh, they, their existing copyrights might be shortened, but they wouldn't be losing them uh, immediately.
1: Yeah, so I have seen um calculations. I haven't dug into the data myself, but I've seen calculations saying that those specific portions would apply to about seventy firms. Huh. Uh there I'll cite um Dennis Crouch, uh who oddly enough was a colleague of uh Hawley's uh huh. at uh University of Missouri. So that's kind of a small world thing. Um but leaving so but leaving those particulars um aside, A, I think it applying to a relatively small number of firms speak to concentration. I mean, everywhere, but so, you know, uh, content producers are, are, or, you know, traditional, you know, older style media content producers are certainly no exception to that. Um, as far as the bill of attainder things and everything like that, constitutional questions about the targeting, uh, that's well outside of my wheelhouse. I can't really speak (laughs) one way or the other about that, but to, Look at it where he's very, very specifically targeting Disney. I mean, that's the only specific firm named, right. um, if I recall, in his press releases and his messaging and things like that. This is where I'm I'm disappointed in a lot of ways. But here's where I think I'm actually uh, disappointed. So first, I think there are I spend a lot of time arguing, you know, from a uh, kind of free markety um, and also more, you know a conservative more broadly although it mainly takes like kind of a a, m- a more modest free markety approach to critiquing intellectual property uh its treatment of property and the legal regime we have set up in general but this is part of the more general D- disney dog pile in their opposition uh to the Florida parental rights and education uh don't say gay bill whatever you prefer um and i think that is unfortunate because there's there's Bad norms. To we're going to target a company um, X way because they decided to speak out in Y way. That's bad, especially because I think there are you know strong arguments to be made against um, uh, from not in general, but particularly from, uh, a more, you know, conservative perspective against the way, uh, large content producers, studios, things like that, um, operate in general. And at the, I think at the very end of the press release on Holly's website, he says it will open up a new era of, you know, innovation and creativity. I think it there would have been, the actual text of the bill is, is defective for reasons we've already discussed, but I think that could have been an opportunity to say, okay, here are the problems with large um, media in uh, as it exists today. This is how copyright informs uh, or enables, is part of this cycle. Here is how reducing copyright um, would harm this. And I think there are a number of of issue, uh, there are <clears throat> lots of ways to critique it. So, for example, uh, this is sort of embarrassing to admit, but it's part of my origin story. <laughs> my the reason I got so into interested in um, intellectual property and copyright specifically was because I discovered the red letter media uh, reviews of the Star Wars prequels, and I realized, like, wow, there are so many people out there with much better ideas on how to make these movies, um, you know, and expand franchises, and they're across the board, it doesn't just apply to that, that legally cannot, or at least they have to, you know, be parading it or, or, you know, be careful and make sure it falls into fair use, which restricts because one of the exclusive rights you're given with a copyright is the ability to create derivative works. And so there is an argument to be made that, you know, there are competitive implications um, to denying people the ability to reimagine and rework these uh, previous. <clears throat> Excuse me. These previous productions uh, that have um, been put uh, out, even, even if you don't want to take the fuller, you know, like really Fox News, Tucker Carlson. Oh, look at all this woke propaganda that's just in all of our movies. You can say no. There, you know, there are different cultural um, uh, views, sort of background radiation that we all have, depending on our upbringing, and. In you know most contemporary, not all, but most contemporary media, you know there are priors that just aren't really reflected, if not you know put down that we that you know a broader section um, of folks we think could put up. Like the Daily Wire is starting to actually get into uh, the entertainment business, and I'll be particularly interested to see what they do. You know, it can't just be. Clint Eastwood and Trey <laughs> Parker and Matt Stone and, and Penn and Teller that you know don't aren't part of like you know a, a liberal monolith. There are others out there, but I think there's an idea to be made of like, look, they have all of these works um, that should that you know other people should be able to weigh in on, should be able to remix, should be able to compete with, and due to path dependence, um, they've been locked out. So that's a solid critique. Based on you know a the more the older style uh, that we can now look back on as as dated mm-hmm. uh, you know free markety arguments against competition or excuse me in favor of competition and then there's more uh, you know I would never phrase it this way because I think it's needlessly combative and part of the the culture war which makes everyone stupid you know and saying like oh these coastal elites they ignore the views of middle America mm-hmm. but there is a kernel of truth to that argument, and if Hawley wanted to really open up the discussion about how do we or you know how do how should conservatives view this issue, he could have, but he decided right. to make it nope. Disney he decide to lobby against a, a Florida bill or speak out against a Florida bill therefore I'm gonna punish them
0: yeah and and you know even like more specifically to the point if if you want to not just even make the the free market argument you know I think there was the argument uh, and there there were cases a few cases about this I'm I'm forgetting how far back they were but but people who wanted to take Hollywood movies um, and edit them, for the sake of, of removing, you know, nudity or curses. For more religious audiences, I think I think there was a, a particular company that was catering to to the Mormon audience. Uh, Bit Angel, I, I I think so. Um, um, this is years back, and I forget the the details of, of of the cases and and the details, but like that was found to be infringing. And I and I think you should be able to make an argument. There were there were the the arguments about whether or not that's fair use. Um. But even, even then, like, I think you should be able to make an argument like there, there, it makes sense to allow that kind of thing to happen. If somebody wants to take a movie and edit it for a particular audience like that, as long as they're, you know, they're purchasing the d in that case they were like purchasing the dvd making the edit and then reselling the dvd um and so you know you couldn't really argue there was a loss for for the company in fact you could argue that it was opening up a wider market for them in, in some way so there is some some market analysis there but but even culturally i think i think there are there are lots of strong arguments for why copyright is is clearly too long and and problematic um and, and Holly could have engaged with any of those and, and chose not to.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, the other – and I had a piece uh, that came out recently uh, on the Niskanen website discussing the whole universe of reforms, uh, not just – What's a better way to reduce copyright terms? But what is a better way to think about mm-hmm. um, copyright if we uh, take issue um, with the the you know lack of uh, you know with with what is being put out? And the way I have come to view the issue is that when you've got intellectual property and the way you enforce it, there's there's. Yeah, this is grossly oversimplifying, but there's basically two ways. You got your injunctive component, which is the ability to stop someone from doing something. And then you've got the monetary component where you know usually those come together, uh, but the monetary component that says, okay, pay me a certain amount. And I think it would potentially be beneficial to lean into more the, the monetary component. We've sort of learned this in uh, the relationship with intellectual property and the COVID pandemic, you know, with patents, trade secrets, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, I'm, I'm still waiting on that, that TRIPS waiver to come through. <laughs> but, we, you know, people have learned, like, okay, fiscal conservatism is the way of the dodo. Let's just throw money. At moderna and pfizer and and not let these things get in the way let's just pay buku bucks to get that technology out there right even though the circumstances are a little bit different um you can apply that that message what if we had a supercharge? you know, licensing regime for content that's been published. So you don't have a situation where, you know, things disappear from uh, Netflix or streaming services with smaller catalogs, Right. Uh, you know, left and right. So you don't have to remember 18 different passwords and pay 18 different things. Perhaps you'd bump it up, uh, you'd bump the, the the fee, the subscription fee up because you still have to pay royalties and everything like that. But you could imagine a world where you have more competition in streaming because you you don't have different companies all, all taking it's, their
0: ball it's, and going home. Right. On. You have less exclusive licensing. There, there, there's a, there's a really great book, <laughs> which I, I don't know if you've read. Um, I may have recommended it to you in the past, but I'll, I'll recommend it to everybody listening to this. Um, it, it's probably about a decade old uh, called no law, um, you know, referencing Congress shall make no law, um, which explores the intersection of free speech and copyright. Um, and Makes a, a really, really compelling argument, which I'm not, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure I fully agree with, but it's 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 very compellingly written. Um, that the only way to make copyright and the First Amendment um, agree with each other and and compatible with each other is to say that you can't use copyright to stop someone from doing something; you can only uh, charge them for it. So that the, the only remedy for, for copyright infringement should be payment, not an injunction stopping the use. Um, and so it, it would effectively create kind of a compulsory licensing, um, scenario rather than, um, you know, what we have today where, where you can, you can block the usage. Um, and so, uh, it's it's an interesting book. And if you haven't read it yet, I, I would recommend it. And for anyone listening to this, if you want to go deep into the weeds of kind of like the ways in which free speech and, and copyright conflict with each other, I I, I completely recommend that book. Um, but, you know, I, I think that I, I wonder what that kind of world would look like, um, where, you know, you just throw money at it. But basically, if there's infringement, like somebody has to pay, uh, you know, we do have issues in the sort of compulsory licensing world with, with certain aspects of music licensing um, that becomes kind of a boondoggle in its own way. And so I worry a little bit about how that, how that works. Um, but uh, you know, it, it is a different approach that, that would would lead to a lot, a lot more competition and a lot less exclusivity. Um, so I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Well, first, I would say, uh, yes, No Law is an excellent book. I would uh, strongly recommend um, anyone read it. And yes, I'm – so to be clear, there are lots of problems um, with music licensing sure. that are a bit outside my wheelhouse. I would recommend the work uh, and and general sage wisdom of uh, Meredith Rose at uh, Public Knowledge, yep. friend of, of – in mine as well, so, but the the so devil's in the details, of course. But there is an important, um, but I think as a concept, you know, recentering copyright and intellectual more bro- property more broadly as an economic right mm-hmm. um, that is is a, a regulatory subsidy that you know is can produce desirable outcomes, uh, but is designed for a specific policy goal. Uh, you know, reform, reformalizing that I think would be beneficial. And then, of course, you can tailor it in such a way, well, you know, if, if something isn't published, and, and you know, you come across it, that doesn't give you the license, it has to be published, there are details to be worked out. But I think moving into that type of regime, uh, is something that would be beneficial. Um, the other area, uh, speaking of speech and something I think, uh, you know, the extremely online, um, right could really get behind would be, um, 512F reform. I mean, and I've written about this, uh, a while ago, um, on, on a tech dirt.
0: So so, let's, yeah, let's, let's talk. I mean, Tell people what 512F is. Uh, I think sure. they'll, they'll implicitly understand it. But but if you if you're not like deep in the weeds of of the DMCA, you're not going to recognize what 512F is. But go for it.
1: Oh, of course. I mean. It- Detector podcast. I imagine a decent number of that's, that's probably true.
0: Are. That's probably true. But yeah. but I'm going to assume that not everybody knows the different clauses of 512. But go for it.
1: <laughs> of course, of course. So when you so the difference between the the DMCA notice and takedown process and say content ID or the other proprietary systems, I think that's an important distinction to make. Yeah. Um, is that when you send a takedown notice, you are starting. A a legal chain reaction. Like, this is an actual legal process for which there are penalties um, associated with misrepresentation as to whether or not you are the rights holder, as to whether or not um, something like this was infringing. And Section 512F of the DMCA basically says. If you make a misrepresentation in sending a takedown notice or, or uh, um, you know, a, a counter notice to the DMCA, it applies across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can be liable for damages, and you see every once in a while. Um, I believe the most recent case I saw was YouTube sued someone who was just flat out lying that they right. were the rights holder. Um, but the area where you would get more benefit from five twelve f reform is to raise is to or rather lower the bar um, for uh, the someone who's on the receiving end of a bad DMCA takedown notice, uh, getting damages if the work was fair use. So the main case in this area was called lens V universal. Mm -hmm. And it was, I believe the ninth circuit, um, that said, you know, okay, you have to consider fair use, but it's a subjective standard. Well, the problem with that is it may be a subjective standard, whether or not you're dealing with, um, fair use. Although, I would argue that fair use isn't just like your opinion man we have precedent we know <laughs> right. we know you know we can agree on a number of cases but also the damage you have done to someone when you send that takedown notice is is very real. If you're someone, you know, there's a there's um uh, a huge um, industry that is developed on YouTube, and they're at the mercy of content ID. And you know, let's not let content ID off the hook here. But for the purpose of this conversation, if someone takes down a video um for because of a bad uh, DMCA takedown notice when something very clearly is fair use. That's their paycheck. They may have, right. you know, embedded advertising, and that messes with their contract. They are unable to monetize. Maybe fewer will folks will see it and go to their Patreon. So that's real money um, that they are potentially losing on. And of course, they're losing out the opportunity to speak. And I think it's tragic when you know people make editorial decisions to not not to comply with copyright law in the abstract, but rather to avoid. Right. Um, pitfalls with uh, litigation, and I think in particular the the magic of five twelve F is is the ability to get damages. You know, create a bill that lets people sue potentially Disney. You know, I'm <laughs> you know I don't think you can be in uh, you know opposed to copyright trolling and also jump at the opportunity to just sue wherever. But that's. Red meat. A lot of the the laws you see, being in the you know the context of abortion or the Florida bill or things like that, create private causes of action. And without commenting on those, you know it's it's very much in vogue giving more people the opportunity uh, to sue, and that's that's not ideal. But it would definitely fit uh, <laughs> that area. And in the context of five hundred and twelve F, making sure you're not potentially robbing someone of their livelihood and definitely robbing them of their, uh, ability to speak, forcing them to think twice in the context of that DMCA takedown no notice. I think that's worthwhile.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I am very hesitant to, to encourage kind of like, a, a flood of sort of counter, uh, counter lawsuits. But I do, I do think like, you know, changing, reforming 512F, I mean, especially after Lens, because because they made it, as you said, a, a subjective determination. Effectively, um, all you have to do to wipe out 512F and make it not an issue is to put in a declaration saying, I considered whether or not this was fair use. And in my you know subjective opinion this is not fair use and and i i actually just watched a hearing recently uh in which there, there's a very very you know it's a clearly fair use case and so really i'm not going to get into the specifics of the case because it's really weird but the judge was asking the the lawyer for the copyright holder like come on this is obviously fair use um And, you know, like, don't, don't you have to, to make an argument for why this is fair use. And and the lawyer was just like, no, we, we filed a declaration that we considered fair use and determined that it's not. And like, it's like, that's all we have to do. And, and it's like, and, and that's basically under lens to some extent. I mean, I wish judges would push back more on it, but uh, effectively under lens, I say if you have a suge- subjective belief that it is not it is not fair use, then you know, then sure, you can file your your takedown. You know, the the other issue that does come up with 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 five twelve f is you know when you're talking about damages, you know. Uh, the, the filers of bogus notices will claim that they're, they're not really creating any damages uh, when they send their notice. So there could be clarification on what, what is meant by damages um, though. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to argue for like statutory kind of damages uh, because that, that gets abused left and right. Um, l- let me raise another, like a, a, another sort of reform idea that, that I haven't just, See what you think of it in terms of copyright term, in particular, because that that is you know that is a big one. Which is this idea um, that you know if we can't reduce terms of existing, you know, we we Congress certainly could say future copyrights have have a much shorter term, um, which it's it's allowed to do, and it, it you know the Hawley Bill could could do that in theory or or any other bill, but. Uh, another way to we, we haven't even gotten into, and we probably shouldn't get into the whole like Bern Convention international treaty aspect of, of how long copyright is supposed to be. but if if we wanted to effectively reduce most copyright terms without having any of those issues, without having the takings issue, without having the um, uh, you know treaty obligation issue come up, would there be any issue with saying, you have to renew your copyrights to keep the registration fresh. You have to renew them at, at certain intervals and those intervals, it could become increasingly expensive. So therefore, you know, maybe if you are Disney, it is worth it for you to keep your copyright for the entire 95 years or, or however long. Um, and therefore you're willing to pay the increasingly large sums to do that. Uh, then, you know, it it raises some money for the treasury <laughs> you know i don't know you could you can make an argument there but if that copyright is not worth it if you wrote a book and you you know the book the market for the book sort of was exhausted within the first 3 or 4 years and nobody else is buying the book it's not worth it to you at year 20 to have to pay you know whatever, $5,000 to renew the copyright because you're going to make less than that on on continued sales of the book. Let that book go into the public domain. Let that work go into the public domain and, and set up this system where, you know, if you want the copyright to last however long it, it needs to last, like you can, but you have to pay for that privilege. Um, and if you're not getting value out of it, put it out in the public domain and let the public get value out of it. Does that, does that proposal, what do you think of that?
1: Yeah. So I'm not, um, a burn, um, expert. (laughs) I think that would be fine because even though there's requirements that it's, it's fixed, um, they do allow for formalities. And of course there's, you know, kind of the dirty secret of like, do we really have to follow (laughs) burn? Um, you know, but, but again, call me a square. Uh, I think, you know, we should, you know, we should uphold, um, our, our, uh, treaty obligations. I think that idea, I mean, there's, um, I believe it's Landis and Posner proposed uh, I mean they would say it's an infinitely renewed copyright but you keep right. paying those escalating fees uh, I believe it's the public domain enhancement act that was introduced a while ago it's you know one of those perennial bills where you just have to pay a nominal fee in order to um, effectively enforce your copyright I'm not opposed to that idea um, I think it's definitely an interesting one but the problem and not problem necessarily, but the critique I would have of it is like you said, Disney will always find the money uh, (laughs) to keep renewing those uh, you know, renewing um, those uh, those work, so it wouldn't quite go after. If the goal is to go after like big content, and and you know, to be clear, I don't think going after big versus small is necessarily ideal. I like you know clear enforceable rules sure. across uh, you know across the board. Don't in, in, you know interpret too much sympathy for this broader <laughs> project. Um, you know from uh, from my comments. Um, so you know, I think you could potentially see a weird thing where you know. Disney, uh, you know, uh, Universal, uh, Netflix. Well, I mean, Netflix has some finance problems right now. You know, these yes. folks will always find the money in order to renew it. Whereas for older, you know, whereas for smaller actors who, you know, perhaps after I don't know, let's go for fourteen years and you have to pony up. Let, let's go back to seventeen ninety, sure. Uh, just for this example, you know, maybe after year fifteen, all of a sudden the work becomes a blockbuster. These things don't necessarily become immediate hits. And so I think it's not necessarily how do we get these things into the public domain where they can't be abused, but it's more how do we make sure while they're under copyright uh, they can't be abused. What I would prefer, or at least approach, I, an approach I would find more interesting uh, um, thing would be to either look at fair use or find some other uh, mechanism. Um, you know, and you almost certainly require some type of statutory change either the Copyright Act or to to competition laws to say that if you are no longer commercially exploiting your work, so you know, if if you don't have it on the Kindle Store anymore, if it's not on um, wherever, then the bar for um, infringement uh, becomes significantly higher if someone decides to reproduce it. Mark Lemley had a paper out um, a couple of years ago uh, where he argued uh, you know that if a work has disappeared or orphan, uh, that it would be fair use. I'm not totally convinced um, of his argument, but I think it's a really good idea and a great. Um, you know, stepping stone for reform in that type of direction, um, and I suppose if I could just insert one, uh, one more area where I think this is such a missed opportunity. Uh, if we're talking about burn. Um, you know, if we're going to violate Burn Convention, just you know, go all the way and say <laughs> we're going to leave Burn, and and it's right. not just Burn. Burn's the most obvious yeah, yeah. Uh, one. There's you know, there's bunch. different bilateral trade agreements, and in particular, I think there's an irony that Hawley – missed that opportunity, because he, again, a couple years ago, published uh, an op-ed, and in, in, I think it was the New York Times that said, abolish the WTO. He's, generally speaking, critical of free trade agreements in a way that, you know, this new, new, uh, I, I forget how many new rights we've gone through, <laughs> you know, but they are critical of, and, you know, I think, WTO and burn are two very different things, but he's not afraid to go there and to make that argument. So if we're going to violate burn, you know, come on, let's leave burn. Let's, (laughs) let's do this. Let's turn up to a burn
0: down burn. (laughs) 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 We have the slogan. I mean, you know, I mean, it's so funny too, because like, again, like we don't need to get into the the deep weeds with, with burn, but burn is, you know, it's a tree that's over a hundred years old, but the, the U S only, you know, entered into it in, in what, 1989. Uh, and, and, and we only did that by cheating. Right. I mean, like we we don't really comply with the U.S. I mean, it's such a joke. It's like the the most open, you know, joke in the world, which is like, you know, burn requires moral rights. Uh, and, and the U S rejects that for, for copyright. We, we view copyright as an economic right. Um, and so we only gave moral rights for like this tiny class of works, whereas I forget what it is. It's like, what is this like, you know, sculptures or something? Give <laughs> moral or <right>? yeah, <laughs> uh and, and that's like, you know, to to pretend that we satisfy the conditions of burn. But anyway, we're we're getting really deep in, in the weeds, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how well, I guess, you know, again, listeners of this podcast might 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 enjoy that. Um but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think the whole thing is interesting. I think again, the underlying point is right, there there are there are lots of really interesting and principled ways in which we could fix copyright law um, and, and improve it and improve like the, you know, improve competition, improve the public's ability to make use of works, uh, improve cre- creativity. Um, and it's, un- it's unfortunate to me that, that, you know, it doesn't feel like anyone is, is seriously engaged. I mean, in, in Congress at least engaging in this. And instead we get this kind of performative like, Hey, let's punish Disney kind of thing. Um, and, and uh I I I wish it were otherwise.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the 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 thing I would make is is the you know populism is a good servant and a cruel master. And when <laughs> you know anyone like what if you know Hawley had written the greatest bill in the world? Right. Um, you know, I would still I mean I would I would praise it on the merits, like of course, but I would still say in the general context of this era it's you know embracing pop you know like you know there's, i won't criticize necessarily populism broadly because there are redeeming qualities to it but this type of uh bully pulpiteering jawboning mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it is you are playing with fire in that types of thing yeah. in, in those circumstances you don't want that to be the norm but at the same time I think people are rightly angry, you know, across the board, even if the the emotions, you know, lead to suboptimal policy proposals, even if they're on the right track, there's no reason that you cannot sublimate or productively channel that general, you know, uh, manic energy into... Um, real reforms a little while ago I had a review of um, Aaron Perzanowski's uh, the right to repair book where um, another book that I'd recommend to all you yeah, uh, he, he was, he on the was show a little while ago yeah
0: a recent guest yep
1: yeah but the point I make in the review is that this interesting we're talking about you know uh, content now but that's right to repair is a perfect way to go after tech but that means embracing you know yeah Apple, we hate, but I guess we also have to hate John Deere and Whirlpool now. You know, there is no, it's, it, you know, there is, you know, politicking, bully, pulpiteering, all that stuff. It's, you have to be hopelessly naive to think we can get rid of that and return to some era of good feelings that never really existed. Yeah, yeah but it's also but it's equally wrong to say to throw up your hands and say, uh, what are you going to do? Like no, you can use that energy to more productive solutions there. It's you know going after Apple and along the way, John Deere and things like that here it's it's Disney in as we discussed before, the appropriate context of how do you critique the role copyright law plays in our media landscape, but then you turn it into actually positive, you know, legislation, previous eras of, of populist energy were able to get results of mixed quality, but many of them, you know, were, were, you know, were good just because you're politicking doesn't mean along the way you can't have good ideas and actually get things done and deliver.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If, if only uh, it doesn't seem to be the approach that that we're dealing with now. But uh, uh, still, uh, I, I mean, I think it's a really interesting discussion. I, I wish that, um, you know, that that we could expect better better from our politicians. <laughs> but but what are you gonna do? Uh, anyways, Daniel, it's always a fun 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 to talk to you about copyright, uh, and and this time we were able to record it, so that's always nice as well. <laughs> uh, so thank thank you for t- for taking the time for having this discussion. Uh, and, uh, thanks everyone for listening as, as well. And we'll be back next week with, with another podcast. Thanks again, Dan. Of course. To grab a shovel and pick up the cat. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get To grab a shovel and pick up the cat. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get To grab a shovel and dig up the cat.